From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. Every pie is beautiful, so let's stop putting pressure on ourselves to put out an Instagram-worthy example. Hi, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, Stories Behind Cookbooks. And you're tuning in on the final day of our first ever baking week. That's right. This week, we brought you four all-new episodes from authors behind some of our favorite classic baking books and behind some new ones, too. Already this week, we've talked with Food 52's Kristen McGlory, with the iconic baking author Rosalie Berenbaum, and with Swedish star chef Magnus Nilsson. Which brings us to today, and we're back in the studio with Kathy Barrow to talk about her latest book, Pie Squared. If you're a reader of the Washington Post's food section, you've certainly read Kathy's work before. She writes the paper's Bring It column, and her writing has also appeared in the New York Times, Savour, and other major outlets. Now, her first book, Mrs. Wheelbarrow's Practical Pantry, was all about preserving and enjoying fresh produce year-round. And now she's back with book number two, Pie Squared. Squared, you ask? That's right. This book is all about slab pies. Kathy writes, for those of you who aren't up on your Pinterest food trends, slab pie is just like regular pie, only better and bigger. And in Pie Squared, Kathy gives us 75 recipes for those slab pies, which are baked on sheet pans. So we asked Kathy to join us for our first ever baking week to discuss slab pies, her recipes for exciting crusts, like the caramelized onion crust or a hash brown crust, and some tips for great pie baking at home, like how to avoid that dreaded soggy bottom. Let's head now to our studio at San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, where Kathy Barrow joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Kathy. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're so glad to have you. So we're here to talk about your latest cookbook, which is Pie Squared Slab Mm -hmm. Pies. So we'll talk about slab pies and what they are a little bit in a minute. But first, I want to actually go back in time and note that your dedication is to your mother, your mother, Jan, for, for teaching you about pie. So can you tell us a little bit about what you learned from your mother and how she instilled the love of pie and the art of baking pie in you? One of the um, strongest memories I have of my mother is Thanksgiving morning when she would get up about 6.30, light a cigarette, yes. start a pot of coffee, <laughs> yes, and take out a half a dozen discs of dough from the refrigerator that she'd made the night before. And with really confident strokes, she would just roll out those pies and she would make an apple and a cherry and a mince pie every year. And then sometimes I would make the pumpkin because she didn't like it. It's such a strong memory. And it was important to me to thank her for that in this book. And so was pumpkin the first pie you ever made, you think? Um, I think it probably was. But soon I began making the cherry pie because that was my favorite and also my stepdad's favorite. Yeah. And every year for his birthday, which is July 10th, that was right around when sour cherries would become available. And so sour cherry pie was on the menu for his birthday. Sure. So you dedicate the book to your mom. You also open the book with a quote from Carl Sagan. And I want to read the quote. If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. That's right. Can you interpret that quote for us and tell us why you chose that quote and what you hope it conveys? Well, I think that scratch cooking can be so terrifying to people. And when I learned that even Nora Ephron, one of our great writers and great cooks, yes. would not 
make her own pie dough, I started to really think about what is it that makes a pie from scratch. And when I found that quote, it really cracked me up because it's true. I mean, I would have to invent an apple. I would have to invent uh, metal for my pan. I would have to invent all of those things. Right. And um, I really think pie is simple and easy. And I want people to be making pie and to stop being afraid of it. Yeah, it is simple. You don't have to invent the universe no, is the lesson don't. there. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about what slab pies are then. So mm-hmm. I know you note that you haven't invented the term slab no. pie, right? It's been around for a while. Can it you has. talk about what a slab pie is and when sort of the first slab pie came to be or, or existed? Um, I think that they've been around, particularly in the Midwest, a place you and I share. Yes. Um, they've been at church socials and potlucks because they serve so many people, because they're so easy to extract a piece from. Other you know, Round pies, you take out that first piece, it's always kind of impossible. The filling squishes into the middle. You right. don't know if that filling goes with the slice that you took or the next slice that you take out. Slab pies don't have any of that difficulty. They're square or rectangular, actually. They're not as deep, and they slice up really easily into portions. So the Midwest, I think it was happening for a long time before it was even recorded. But the first slab pies seem to appear in the zeitgeist with Martha Stewart back in the 80s. And she has had slab pies on her website forever. And I'm surprised they didn't sort of zoom to the top of pie uh, a long time ago, but I'm kind of glad that I got to bring them there. And you brought them there via the book called Pie Squared. How'd you settle on that name? You know, I I spent about a week saying, there's something that's just, I know there's a title there. It's like going to be really obvious when I remember or when it comes to me, what is it? What is it? And then it was, oh, of course, it's Pie Squared. And when I told my agent, she said, well, of course, it's pie squared. And it just seemed exactly right. Yes. <laughs> so it's a pie squared. We know it's baked in a rectangle dish instead of a, right. a circular dish. And I want to be clear that it's not a rectangular like brownie pan, but it's a right. what's called a quarter sheet pan in the uh, restaurant industry. It's a nine by 13 sheet pan. So it's a, only about an inch deep. Right. And you don't you don't want it to be any deeper than that because you want low side so that the top sort of evenly cooks? Well, sometimes the top is domed. Like if you have Mm -hmm. apples, particularly, it'll be a domed top. But I like the ratio of filling to crust in this less deep pie pan uh, of the sheet pan. And the other thing is it's much easier to get out of the pan when you use a sheet pan. You can make it in a 9 by 13 brownie pan, but it's easier to get it out of these. And you can also do a really great party trick with a lot of them, which is to slide the entire pie out of the pan and put it on a serving platter. And it's fun to do that in front of people because they'll go, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Assuming you've greased your pan well. No, you don't have to because the pie crust is so rich with butter or whatever that it just, yeah. Even if you're going to slide it out, you don't need to grease at all. No, you never have to grease the pan with my my pie doughs. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Great. We know what distinguishes a slab pie from another type of pie, the Mm -hmm. shape. The wrong pie. (laughs) From the wrong pie. (laughs) Sure. Um, But the other thing that makes a slab pie a pie, or really any pie a pie, is the crust, right? Otherwise, you'd be making a frittata or a casserole or what have you. Mm -hmm. So the crust is really the most important element. Absolutely. You would say more so than the filling. I don't want to pick favorites Okay, fair. That's fine. (laughs) I think that it's really important to pair the right crust with the right filling. 
and you offer various types of crusts. So I think people think about pie and they sort of think of the standard butter pie crust, but mm-hmm. there's a, a cheddar crust. There in is the a book. cheddar crust there's and a- there's a chocolate crust, yes. which is really fantastic because it's not very sweet. It's like flaky and bittersweet and it's delicious. And then uh, my personal favorite, which is the caramelized onion crust. Yes. Um, where you make a compound butter with caramelized onions, chill that hard and then work it into a pie dough as though regular butter. Yes, I am so intrigued by that one. I can't wait it's to fantastic, try that crust. fantastic, I have to say. Okay. <laughs> and I think that's another misconception people often have about pies, is they tend to just sort of immediately think of the sweet. That's right. Cherry, pumpkin even, mm-hmm. your sweet apple. pies, apple. But there's a lot of really great savory pies, yes. savory slab pies in your book. Can you tell us a few of your favorite savory pies? Absolutely. The arti- Just Like Artichoke Dip Slab Pie has turned out to be a real fan favorite. Yeah. It was for from the moment I made it and offered it up to people, and now that the book is out in the in the world, everybody's just, ooh, what an idea. And really, all you have to say is, it's just like artichoke dip, but it's inside crust. And sure. the beauty of it, as one person said, is that there's no double dipping, right? right? You get your own piece. Right. So that's been very popular. The empanada pie is really delish. Um, there's a pan-roasted mushroom and kale with Gruyere cheese. That's a great vegetarian option. Yeah, there are a lot. Chicken pot pie, of course, is there. And, and, and the Reuben. The Reuben is really fun. Yes. That's got a rye crust and sauerkraut and corned beef and Swiss cheese. And then, of course, that magical dressing. Yeah, I mean, these examples that you've just given, I think if you're a listener and you think of apple pie and that's sort of the limit, having a rye crust, having the caramelized onion crust, having your artichoke dip in the form of a slab pie, mm-hmm. I think you're really sort of helping people break through the molds of what you might think about a pie as being yes. with this book, which of is course, so awesome. Of course, if you talk to the British... Uh-huh. They think that fruit pies make no sense at all, and <laughs> right. savory pies are where it's at. Right, it's so. all about the meat pie there. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about some savory pies. Let's talk about a couple sweet pies. Um, actually, no, let's not. Let's go back. Okay. Um, because there's another savory <laughs> pie I want to talk about, which is the um, nacho pie. Yes. So we were talking about this before we sat mm-hmm. down for this conversation a little bit, but it reminded me of this dish that for some reason, we've talked about on a very high number of salt and spine episodes, but maybe it's my love of it, which is the walking taco. Well, there's actually a Frito pie. Which is very pie, similar. Which yeah. is very similar. But the nacho pie sort of takes that idea and turns it into nachos. Yes. So it's a cornbread crust, which is, I'm really proud of that one. And it has a funny story. Every time I made it and put it in the pan, it would run out of the pan and go all over my oven. And I finally, I'm like, what is wrong with me? And I can't, couldn't figure figure it out. I kept trying to reduce the quantities, make less, and then there wouldn't be enough crust. And finally, I realized that if you just take a half a cup of the butter or batter out, then it would work. But I made a big mess for a long time. So it's got a cornbread crust and uh, pork carnitas mm-hmm. and all the things that you love on nachos, including some corn chips on the top. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what really reminded yes. me of that. Of- and then it's got the garnish bar. Alongside with pickled jalapenos and sour cream and all of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, when people come over to your house, are they always eating pie? 
Not always. Not always. Often. often. Well, I've been writing about pie for two years, so pretty much. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> Sweet or savory, there's likely mm-hmm. a pie. Let's talk a little bit more about the crust. I think that's a an area of pie baking that feels probably most intimidating to people, Do-phobia. as you mentioned. Dophobia, you call mm-hmm. it in your in your Washington Post column. And I think many people then sort of focus on the filling and use a store bought crust or sort of put the emphasis on what they're filling. But you're actually sort of encouraging folks, and you have some tips on yes. how to do this to really invest in the the dough and the I crust. Do. What are some of your secrets to what makes a really good pie crust? You need to work fast and keep everything cold. And people say that a lot, but I love to use the food processor because that is a way to work fast. And I've made so many crusts now that I actually have counted the exact number of pulses you need to get the butter cut into the flour perfectly. It's 15 pulses and it works every time. And then you add the cold water and run it till it comes together And it's just absolutely perfect every single time. It's a very silky dough. And then I tape off a segment of the counter with painter's tape so that I have a guide to roll to. Because I think that often, you know, you put out that dough and then you think, it well, it should be round. How round? I don't know how big. And you just start rolling and it ends up oblong and then it doesn't always fit on this side or that side. If you have a guide, then you know where you're going and it just makes it easier. You also say pie is another word for happy. What do you think pie means to people? There's this like fear in a lot of people of making it because it is a a relatively labor intensive process, but it also brings such joy. Yes. Nobody can be unhappy with a piece of pie in their lap, you know, like holding it, looking at it. And it just looks so uh, appealing and homemade always. And you don't get pie a lot. You don't really find pie in restaurants as dessert very often. And so I think that there is a kind of homemade quality to it always that makes you feel like you're at home. Right. We'll be right back with the second part of our conversation with Kathy Barrow, author of Pie Squared. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, listen up. This Saturday, December 15th, to celebrate our first ever baking week, we're hosting a cookie swap and demo event. Join us for an afternoon at the Civic Kitchen, the beautiful cooking school for home cooks and the home to Salt and Spine in the Mission District. There will be champagne and warm apple cider and so many cookies to eat, swap, and learn how to make. Of course, in addition to eating and swapping, there will be lots of demos on how to bake delicious cookies, including by cookbook author Jessica Batalana, Civic Kitchen teachers, and even yours truly. And of course, you won't want to miss the cookie swap. To get in on the swap action, just bring a dozen or more home-baked cookies and then swap them for other baked goods from fellow home bakers. No time to bake? No worries. You can also purchase cookies to take home, $10 per dozen. Now, tickets to the event are $10 and proceeds will benefit La Cocina, which supports low-income food entrepreneurs in the Bay area. I hope you'll join us this Saturday for the Salt and Spine Cookie Swap in San Francisco. Get your tickets today at civickitchensf.com. And now back to our conversation with Kathy Barrow. So are there particular authors or cookbooks who have influenced you? Absolutely. I mean, I can name all the the standards from Julia Child and Marcella Hazan and all of that, but it's more Lori Colwyn who inspired me to write about food 
from my heart. Um, yeah. I think that that was maybe the biggest motivator for me to start writing. And her, her book, Home Cooking, Home Cooking is the yes. title. And uh, mm-hmm. we have many people who say that's, yeah. that's a book that really influenced them. So it, it has to do with my age, I'm sure, and Gourmet Magazine and yeah. reading her in there. And it was just a very important part of my life reading those stories yeah a really influential writer for Very. many many mm-hmm. cookbook authors and edna today. lewis also yes i read the taste of country cooking maybe 25 years ago and i return to it every couple of years her language is beautiful and the way that she respects and takes care of her ingredients so i'm, I'm very moved by her yeah did you grow up with cookbooks i did yeah, my mother was a very good cook, and okay. we spent a lot of time together in the kitchen. Um, it was early in PBS years, sure. and we watched all the shows, and then it, we would go in the kitchen and make things. I was always more fearless than my mother, and I re- really remember like a dinner party where she decided to make Cherry's Jubilee, but okay. the whole fire thing really scared her. <laughs> she was standing feet away and lighting matches and pitching them into the, and they were floating on the top and nothing was working. I was maybe seven and I'm like, mom, give me that. And I <laughs> lit it right on fire. So I've been in the kitchen for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first cookbook you ever owned? Uh, yes, I, it was the joy of cooking. Was it? Okay. Yeah. And my mother gave it to me when I got my first apartment and okay. then also the Craig Claiborne, New York times. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Both, both really classic. But the first one I bought for myself was Made a Heater's Book of Great Desserts. And I made everything in it. And that was really an education. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your um, testing process when you're working through this book. And I know you give a little shout out or some recognition to the National Park Seminary condo building for helping you test. So (laughs) I I think there's a story there maybe, but um, I'm curious how you go about testing your pies. Um, well, I, I dream up the, recipes and people often ask me how and I can't answer that it just comes to me okay um, but once I have an idea um, I will start to fiddle around with a filling and once and when the filling is set then I decide which crust matches and I usually make it two or three times until I'm pretty confident that it's going to come out the same way each time and then I have an independent tester Christine Redelebage in Maine and I send her the recipe and she made it three times so the challenge is when you have 60 pies and you make them three times that's 180 pies right and that's assuming that it works out in three right and so who do you give all those pies to? I mean, each one of these will serve 12 to 15. And concurrent with starting this book, I moved to the National Park Seminary, a condominium building in Silver Spring. There are 45 condos. And I started sending emails out to the community saying, coconut cream pie in the mailroom. And I could literally hear the footsteps <laughs> running down the stairs. And I got off the elevator at one point and I heard a man say, since she moved in, I check my email a lot more frequently. <laughs> and they ate all my pies. And thank God for that. Oh, it you must great. be, you must be the best neighbor. I'm popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like it. And Christine had the same issue up in Maine. Sure. She lives near Bowdoin College and there was a house of, I think, lacrosse or rugby players next door to her. And they ate a lot of pies. Yes. And e- but, you know, even they, after a while, are like, yeah, that, that's good. Lots of pie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, there is sort of an art to pie baking. There's certainly there's some science involved as well. Yes. And you talk about some of the things that people sort of struggle with in terms of challenges with pie baking. One of maybe the most common is having a soggy bottom crust. Soggy bottoms. And how do you avoid that? Well, that was an accident, but it's a happy accident. I own a baking steel, which I love and highly recommend. It's a 15-pound solid piece of steel that lives in my oven a lot of the time. I make pizzas on it. I make bread on it. It's just, you heat it up with the oven. It gets screaming hot. And if you put your pizza on there, it's done really fast. You get the blisters. Right. And so. And yours is a steel, not a stone. It is a steel. steel. I've had a stone, which I broke. And then when I broke it, I replaced it with the steel. Okay. And uh, one day, I guess I'd had pizza probably the night before. And I heated up the oven without looking inside. And I went to put the pie in it, and there was that hot 15 pounds. And I thought, oh, well, and I just slid the pie in. And that pie came out with this incredibly gorgeous, crispy brown crust. And I thought, well, is that an accident? And I tried it a couple more times, and it so consistently overcame the issue of that soggy bottom. And if you don't have a steel or a stone, you can just flip an extra baking sheet upside down. You just want a hot surface for the pie to bake on. Right. Are there other common sort of obstacles like a soggy bottom crust that people often say, what do I do to avoid having this happen with my pie? I think uh, some people um, worry about a runny filling, okay. particularly mm-hmm. with certain fruits, cherry right. and strawberry. Those are both really commonly thuggish in terms of the way that they exude water. So I use cornstarch as a thickener, but I also use a product called Instant Clear Gel, which is a cornstarch-like product. Okay. And it was developed by food engineers at some point, but it is, it's not weird. It doesn't have weird <laughs> things. It's just cornstarch that's been modified and it's very strong and it's used in commercial settings to, um, hold cherry pies longer. Like a regular cornstarch might hold it for a day where instant clear gel will hold that pie for two or three days. So it's sturdier and stronger. And I like to use that in the case of those thuggish fruits. Yes. Mm -hmm. Good Mm -hmm. to know. Great tip. Um, So we're sitting here next to a couple beautiful, delicious slab pies, which I, they're right behind, they're right in my line of sight. So they're very, very (laughs) inspirational. Yes. One is the artichoke, which we've already discussed. And the other is the left, is it the leftover cranberry sauce? Leftover cranberry sauce slab pie. Yeah. And so this is a great way to use up leftover cranberry sauce, right? So you think of pie traditionally as something that's on the Thanksgiving table, but also you've repurposed that into a pie here. And you do that with other, there's another leftover pie recipe as well. There is, there's the leftover Thanksgiving slab pie. And that's really fun. It has a bottom crust and then you just pile in your leftovers. It's turkey and maybe there's some mushroom gravy and you've got some green beans and some sweet potatoes. And then I like to take the stuffing and sort of make little meatballs of it and scatter it over the top and bake the whole thing. People come to you and say, I'm sort of new to pie baking or I've maybe made, you know, a pumpkin pie or a cherry pie or apple pie with my mom, but I want to get into pie baking. Where do you sort of direct them to to go in terms of those I first ask steps? them what kind of pie they like. That's I great. mean, that's really step one. Because there's no reason to make something that you don't love. Yes. And if you love pumpkin pie, that's the pie you should make. Yes. Because once you make a pumpkin pie that's your own and it's delicious, it's like, well, that was good. Let me try apple. 
So uh, we always end with a little game. So I thought we'd play a little game okay. now. Um, it's not sports, is it? It's not sports. No, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do very well at that. <laughs> Me either. Uh, great. So it's going to be a pie game. Okay. So I think we'll we'll be wonderful at yeah, the pie game. I'm, I'm out. Um, so we have a few holidays coming up. A few winter holidays coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to throw out a holiday. Some winter holidays and some other holidays. And maybe you can suggest not just a pie, but a slab pie. Okay. Um, that one might prepare for this holiday. So I'm Hanukkah. Nervous. What what's Hanukkah. a great Hanukkah slab pie? That would be the hash brown breakfast pie, which is a okay. hash brown crust with a spinach florentine and coddled eggs and bacon. Well, maybe not bacon for Hanukkah. Sure. Smoked salmon. Smoked salmon. Oh yeah, great addition. Great substitution there. How about uh, a great New Year's slab pie? Oh, either I New Year's think, Eve or New Year's Day. Yeah, I think the grande mocha cappuccino pie would be really Ooh. fun for New Year's Eve. That's mm-hmm. fun. A little caffeine, keep you up later. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, how about you've just had, maybe not you, someone has just had a new baby. <laughs> um you're going to bring a slab pie over for the new parents. Yes, I would bring. definitely take the chicken pot slab pie. It's homey, mm. comforting, and, um, you know, it's going to renew your spirits. That's that's great. Um, how about a wedding? I, there's this trend, right, of um, people wedding sort pies. of eschewing cakes and doing pies and donuts and mm-hmm. what have you. Um, slab pies seem like a great fit for weddings. Absolutely. What do you suggest? Well, I think we'd do something really elegant, like the chocolate-filled chocolate Pop-Tart pie, but you do that with all bittersweet chocolate and you know, no sprinkles or anything. Just keep it really... Uh, elegant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about Christmas? Christmas Eve pie. Oh, there's a meat pie that's based on a Canadian tortier or a, a classic pork pie. And it's spiced with allspice and nutmeg and cinnamons and pork. And it's just lovely. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've talked a lot about holidays, but one last one that's not a holiday. It's a Friday night. You've had a long week. You open a nice bottle of wine and you just want a, a nice slab pie to hang out with Friday night. Maybe there's some leftover Saturday morning. Maybe this is your go-to slab pie. Okay. My go-to slab pie. I think that would probably be the uh, asparagus fontina one. It's mm-hmm. very quick to make. It's sort of like a slim quiche and it's fast and it's elegant and it's really yummy. Yeah, I saw and that. And good that... for breakfast. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. This thank was you. so fun. It was really fun. I appreciate it. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from this episode on our website, saltandspine.com. There you'll find two recipes from Pie Squared, the Mary Mintzish slab pie with a butter and shortening crust, and the Just Like Artichoke Dip slab pie with a cream cheese crust. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite cookbook authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Our program today was produced by Allison Sullivan and myself. Our original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonimo, and the Civic Kitchen Cooking School team, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. Thanks so much for listening to our first ever Baking Week. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Greetings Adventurers is an award-winning comedy real play D&D podcast that has been running for a 
decade with 427 episodes in our first campaign. I didn't have back problems or kids when we started. My favorite thing about the show is that it's a group of friends playing D&D who don't take anything too seriously. Right, like would a normal group use a sphere of annihilation as a toilet? We threw so much mayonnaise in there. We just started a new campaign, so it's a great time to jump in. Or you can listen to our first level one all the way to level 20 adventure and have hundreds of hours of entertainment. New episodes every Monday, so listen to Greetings Adventurers on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 